Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Welcome to Fun, Fun Man About, about it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izet. I'm Chris Kuzmi. Oh, Rachel Jacobs, your microphone's not on. I'm Rachel Jacobs, and I'm like it over here with the microphone. It's not working. <laughs> oh, wait, there we go. Okay, she's there not back go. on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back, Rachel. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. <laughs> and we are your co-host for this weekly journey through all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. It is a pleasure to be here on episode 210. Is that where we're at? I believe so. Woo! 210. It is exciting. It's been a very fun ride. And I'm really excited about today's show. But before we get into it, who's got any announcements? Uh, so, I uh, still have a couple of, uh, a little bit longer to sign up for the Samuel Adams Longshot American Homebrew Contest, which is, it's not a fellowship, it's a brewership in which one lucky homebrewer will be selected to work uh, alongside some of the Sam Adams homebrewers um, in their 10-barrel system. And uh, the winner and the two runner-ups will also get to go to the Great American Beer Festival. So, if you want to go to this, you just have to submit a video that explains why you should be selected. Um, so, for more information, just go to samadams.com slash longshot. And uh, good luck, everybody. I appreciate that they do, that they do this festival. Um, they pride themselves in that uh, all their employees are are brewers. They make all their, their employees brew at least once a year. And... Uh, I, I just think it's awesome. Yep. We've been to, they always have the, uh, they always, or in the past, have announced the winners of the long shot competition at a special brunch during GABF, which mm-hmm. Chris and I have been to as press. We actually interviewed Jim there a few years ago. Um, but it's super cool just to see, like, the excitement and, and how Sam Adams is still doing this. Yeah. Yeah. It's great that even though... And it's an awesome opportunity. Yeah, it, they're technically still a craft brewership, and even though they're, like, more commercial, they still support all of the craft breweries and all the craft brewers all around which is super great absolutely oh speaking of competitions chris and i uh were at a local competition hosted by a brewery 
here in in New York City was Gun Hill Brewing in the Bronx. They hosted a homebrew competition. It was their second homebrew competition. Congratulations to Alex Kalef for winning with his Key Lime Pie Gosa. Which was awesome. The way he got the flavors for the Key Lime Pie, there was like it, it, it emoted Key Lime Pie so well, and he didn't use any spices. It was a combination of his grist that gave it, and, and the yeast, um, that kind of gave it like a cinnamony thing that kind of just brought it in there. It was really, really cool. And he won out of 29 uh, entries, yep. and it was pretty good. The, I judged, and there were a lot of really great beers. Um, at the same time, Ortega, which is one of our newer breweries here in New York City, he is an industry city in uh, near Sunset Park, Brooklyn. He actually hosted a homebrew com- homebrew event as well. That was a competition too, I think, it right? It was. Um, we didn't get to go to that because it conflicted with uh, Gun Hill, but anyway, I think it's cool to see uh, commercial breweries Still supporting homebrewers. Speaking of which... It's roots, baby. It's roots. And speaking of roots, uh, we finally did do our our foraging in Prospect Park with, oh, yeah. uh, with uh, Wild Man Steve Brill last Sunday. And it was really fun, really awesome, really enlightening. And so cool. And hilarious. It was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh his daughter oh, is amazing. Um, it was just made of dad jokes. It was great. Yeah, it was, it, it was incredible. And I have some favorites of what I found in, in Prospect Park. And among them was, was the aroma of common spice. Spice bush, oh, that yeah. was insane. Uh, I definitely want to kind of. I think what I'm going to contribute to uh, what we're about to announce, which is uh, well, we've announced it in the last few shows, but mm-hmm. August 19th at Fifth Hammer, we are going to uh, celebrate uh, with Stan Hieronymus uh, beers made. Uh, influenced by or by foraging or with actual ingredients foraged from from a, from your local area. Um, it'll be an RSVP event. Find it at bitterandesters.com. Yeah, so Stan's actually going to be in town. He's going to be doing two really cool events on Long Island. I don't have them in front of me, but the invites just went out on Facebook. Tickets are available. One of them is a hop seminar, and then he'll be doing two events, one of which is at Fifth Hammer. Um, well, we're just going to taste uh, through a couple of beers. He's going to yep. sign his books. He's going to talk a little bit about uh, brewing with uh, interesting ingredients and, and local uh, forage ingredients, uh, alternative spices. Um, in this case, or, uh, that's what I'm saying. I want to make a, a common spice bush IPA. Uh, that I think would really dance well. But the other things I was inspired by was a birch twig. Like, you can get a really great wintergreen mm-hmm. flavor from that uh, steeped birch twig. Only if you can climb. Super cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but these are all things you could also order as well. Yeah. That's- but you dug, I mean, I, I dug it too, but I want yeah. to leave it for you. Oh, to yeah. Say. The sassafras, which is, um, so modern um, root beers use uh, something called sarsaparilla, which is kind of an artificial sassafras. But the original uh, sassafras tree has that kind of root beery flavor and you just dig up a root and it just it smells like the root beer and you okay. just can boil it and it's, I'm so excited for it. I thought you were going to go the other way because the, oh. sassafra- uh, the sassafras leaves if you get the really small sassafras yeah, it leaves like candy. it's like candy like look orange they had like a citrusy kind of emote motion to me like so I, another place where i would like to use it at the, the very end of a boil and it was really hip and i guess they use it in fillet sauce and fillet sauce and it's also used in soup as as, as gumbo uh, they use it a lot in orleans oh, that's right, yeah. the small sassafras i'm, I'm thinking that's hard really hip i'm thinking uh, hard sodas and short i'm beans. thinking hard sodas yeah and especially with that uh, we got some uh, wood sorrel which has a very like lemony uh, citrus flavor to it, which would definitely be good in like a short meat or something like that. I agree. I think that was a cool thing. So 
in New York City, for those of you that don't live here, I think... We don't when have a you, lot of greenery. <laughs> yeah, well, when you think of New York City, you think of, you know, the World Trade Center and the Empire State Building and Times Square and all these... Concrete these, jungle. Yeah, exactly. But um, but we actually have a lot of natural features. Chris and I were at... We went to... So this was not yesterday, but a week ago. We started at Coney, Coney Island Brewing Company, which is in Coney Island. Um, <laughs> and we had a great brunch there and drank some of the beers. They're doing great beers. Eric Hernandez is the, their head brewer there, and he's doing some amazing stuff. Um a lot of stuff there at the facility that you don't see out in the, out in the world. Like, yeah, uh, they they definitely make a lot of beer uh, through uh, through partnerships. But but what they're doing right in the Ten Barrel Brew House in Coney Island is really hip and, and special for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely cool experience. I I'm kind of in love with their. I'm in love with every tasting room, but their tasting room is super cool. And even cooler, so it's you can go drink some beer at the brewery, and they're in pretty much like back to back with the the uh, Brooklyn Cyclone Stadium. And or you can do some crazy rides at Coney Island, or you can go to the beach like we did. So we headed to the beach for a few hours. Then we uh, came up through one of New York City's newest breweries, Island Island Brewing, in Prospect Hearts, Prospect Heights. Prospect Lefferts <laughs> Garden. Yes, actually, Heart, sorry, sorry. Prospect Lefferts Garden. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they are doing some awesome stuff as well. And then we ended up meeting you guys in Prospect Park okay. to forage. And Prospect Park actually has quite a bit of forest oh, area. So much. Did you know they have raspberries? Don't forget that fact because we're going to go take them. (laughs) It's going to be a competition. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, it's just cool to be able to uh, really partake of all things. It's nice all environments have, in New York City. Yeah, it's nice to know that we have fresh ingredients right in our own backyard. Yep. yep. And uh, actually, so, Coney Island Brewing Company has a hard uh, root beer that I wonder if they use sarsaparilla, not sassafras. I don't know. I have not tasted that. That's the one thing I haven't tasted yet down there. I meant to when we were there most recently, but... It tastes the way that you think it does. We'll talk to them when uh, when we have them on the show right. uh, sometime yes. in a relatively near future. Uh, in the meantime, I'm excited to get into today's show, but not before Mary says... I have two things, actually. <laughs> so I just want to say, I I, um, I get Google alerts on fermentation, and something crossed uh, through my inbox recently that I thought was amazing. Uh, there is a uh, chemist at the University of Washington in Seattle who is actually developing yeast that could be 3D printed to make alcohol. Uh, so there is a cool article. If you just Google uh, yeast 3D printing and economist.com, you'll find the article. But basically, they uh, are putting, uh, they've created this bioreactor um, that is composed of a substance called hydrogel. They put it in glucose and it starts making alcohol. And the cool thing is that, um, wait, I'm, I'm scrolling down. I, I needed, I should have written up, do, done a little write up of this, but I didn't. But basically, um, what it does is it can just keep making alcohol. Um, so this team's bioreactors have continued to produce ethanol in for over four months now with no signs of slowing down. Anyway, just cool thing. If you're interested in new technology, that's something to, uh, look up and then also kind of follow as they go along. Last but not least, I want to say that um, another thing. So since we are opening Fifth Hammer Brewing Company in Long Island City shortly, sometime this year, Kuzma <laughs> uh, and I are not really uh, taking any vacations this year. Yep. So one thing we've been doing is we've been take, doing, you know, taking advantage of things like foraging in Prospect Park and going to the beach and trying to do as, you know, free concerts and all kinds of cool Free, cheap, fun it's a stuff great in city New York City. To be City. stuck in, to be honest. Um, 
But the other thing that we've decided to do is that a couple weeks ago, we realized, hey, there's 26 weeks left in the year, 26 letters of the alphabet, and we really like to eat. So we are eating around the world alphabetically by country in New York City. So we hit um, an Afghanistan place two weeks ago. Last week was B, obviously. Um, We decided to do Barbados. There is a Bajan restaurant. That is their cuisine, Bajan restaurant. B-A-J-U-N, obviously rhymes with Cajun. Um, and uh, there's one in Crown Heights, actually on the way to Island Island Brewery for us. We had another visit afterward. But um, one of the things I wanted to, we also wanted to do is kind of learn a little bit more about each country and their cuisine along the way. So when I Googled podcast on Barbados, what came up? But Jessica B. Harris is my welcome table on HRN. She doesn't have any uh, episodes lately, but it just made me realize like how much I appreciate this station. Not only us having the opportunity to talk about cool fermented foods and beverages and meet amazing people like our guests that we're about to introduce, but also all the amazing shows and hosts that and information that that comes through this. Um, so I just man. I love Heritage Radio Network. It is a not-for-profit, and we all do support it, and we ask that you do the same thing. This is a passion project for Chris, Rachel, and I. We come here every Monday night on our own time, and um, just because, man, we love the station, and we love talking about fermentation. But anyway, you can donate at heritageradionetwork.org. Click on the beating heart, and uh, we would love for you to be a member. We have individual memberships. You get some sh- some swag, and we also have business memberships as well. Anyway, shout out to all the amazing hosts and guests on this station. Speaking of guests on the station, Guzman. Guests on this station. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm so very excited today. Uh, you may recall in episode 165, uh, it was we were fresh back from Iceland, uh, and uh, we had been brought to Iceland by our guest today, our good friend, Sigurdur Snorrison, also we lovingly call Siggy. Siggy, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Siggy, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we met a while ago when I was at 508. You had come through town, and you really saved my neck the day my mill broke down. Uh, incidentally, you, you, you were buying a mill for yourself, and you just happened to have it uh, nearby, and we did it But because you are a home brewer in Iceland. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been home brewing maybe for a year, and I was starting to gear up and going into buying bags of grain and <laughs> then I needed a meal so I ordered a meal it was sitting next door in a hotel or whatever and I met you and you said not brewing today because my meal broke down and I said oh yeah I just happen to have a meal <laughs> I can bring it in <laughs> uh, it totally worked because I, totally I was doing two barrels at a time yeah, so that's like how Sig and I bonded over that moment and here we are today and there's yeah. been, a, been a giant ride but uh, tell us about your story before that I mean you have some really exciting we're going to go through the whole journey man we're going to talk about everything from from then to now and, and the exciting things that you have planned for the year to come um, but what got you into home brewing and how hard was that to do in, in your country um, so for a long time I've been drinking beer and enjoying beer I, I used to live here in New York City back in 98 I moved here and I remember I went to a bar in Soho and at that time you could have four kinds of beers there was like can I name the brands? Sure. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. Bud, Bud Light, and Heineken, and Corona. Four was, different brands. Four and different I was drinking brands. Heineken because <laughs> I had been educated in Bel- in Holland, and I was drinking Heineken. And this guy, friend of my friend, he says, mm, you're drinking Heineken. 
that's an acquired taste. That's back in 98. So over the years, I've noticed the change in beer scene here. And I just uh, was overwhelmed because back in Iceland, we don't really have, we didn't really have that. But I took it all in and I started thinking, if I wanted to have these kind of beers, I need to make them myself. So for about two or three years, I was watching YouTube videos, how to make beer and reading up on the thing. And then about five years ago, I took the plunge and bought really simple brewing a bag equipment and uh, never looked back from then. That was what year that you got the Britain bag? 2012. 2012. And was, is there a home brewing scene in, in Iceland? And was there in 2012? It had started maybe a few years previously. Um, but it really took off when somebody started to import grains, selling mm-hmm. it from his grandma's garage initially. <laughs> and uh, he still has a business now and has a proper store and has has a lot of customers, I'm sure. I don't know. Homebrewers in Iceland, they probably run in the hundreds. I mean, from a country, we have 300,000 people. So Size of Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Mm, probably, yeah. yeah. The, uh, so there's a club now. Yeah. Right, um, with with a couple hundred members. But you're in Reykjavik. You're right in Reykjavik. So we're talking about. But you you say there are three hundred, probably three hundred homebrewers from that, around the country. A few hundred. I don't know. Few hundred. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, a lot of them are members of uh, the homebrew club, local homebrew club. Um, I ran for president, and I was the president for a couple of years, uh, and then I was on the board of directors. Sorry, on. Uh, for another year, I was uh, was a member on the board, but mm-hmm. yeah, and the club really has um, tried to bring back, uh, bring people together and educate, and ho- has a website and bulletin board and getting people to post things, the brewing recipes and stories and questions and these things. So, well, you mentioned the episode, <clears throat> so you. You guys were amazing to bring us up to Iceland. That was like a year, a little over a year ago. That was a year, a year yeah. ago in May. That was last year, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and we were really impressed. We got to judge the homebrew competition as well mm-hmm. as do an off-flavors workshop. And we were super impressed with the quality of homebrews and also the creativity. Mm-hmm. That I mean, lots of people were doing crazy foraged, wild, fermented sours when, you know, we, we were seeing... I mean, I think we've seen more of that at this time, but there's still a lot of trepidation. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, considering how s- concentrated and small the homebrew community is, there was like a lot of really high quality, very unusual things being brewed. So I think both Chris and I were definitely impressed by what was going on. Um, so that's kind of like a little bit of background. So what's happened in the well you know, since you started? Yeah, happened to like the home. What? What? How have you seen like the homebrew scene kind of change in Iceland? Um. I don't know. I think maybe a lot of people start maybe thinking they can get into home brewing, make cheap beer. But those are the people that usually don't last. And then you have other people that just think about, like, what happened to me? I can just say for myself. I initially, I wanted to make IPAs because um, I couldn't get a really good IPAs in Iceland. And I, my first few beers were IPAs. And then I started reading up on things and and I started trying out different styles of beers and suddenly I'm making beer that I never knew existed. I'm drinking mm-hmm. beer that 
I could never get anywhere, not even here in Iceland, not in Iceland or maybe not even here in the U.S. And it's just uh, it's a journey that's taken me. I never would have known when I started out where I would have ended, but I'm, I'm glad that I came to this point where I'm now. I think that's a, that's a big part that I'd like to jump into in the second half of this show. We're going to take a real quick break, but I'd like to talk about kind of what, where the beer scene is and has gone and, and how you are going to play into that uh, coming up next on Femin About It, Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founding sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Foods got its start when Patrick Martin's first stepped foot onto Frank Reese's Kansas farm in 2001. Back then, Frank was the only farmer in America raising true heritage turkeys with recorded lineages tracing back more than 150 years. Patrick knew instantly he'd found a unique moment, an opportunity to go beyond acknowledging these breeds as being jeopardized and to actually do something to save them. Patrick asked Frank to ramp up production and made a promise to him that if he would raise them, Heritage Foods USA would sell them. That was the moment that Heritage Foods' slogan, Eat Them to Save Them, was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from Heritage Breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come. Plus, Heritage Breeds just tastes a whole lot better. Learn more at HeritageFoodsUSA.com and use the code HERITAGERADIO for two free pork chops with your first order, brother. Welcome back to From Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are here in the studio with our good friend Siggy Snorrison uh, of, of the soon-to-be Reykjavik Brewing Company. We haven't discussed that yet. But before we do, let's talk about prohibition in Iceland and the beer scene as it is today. So much like the U.S., Reykjavik went to – or uh, all of Iceland went through a, a, a prohibition period. Uh, and what happened during that and coming out of that as uh, pertains to beer? Well, so I'm not the expert on that, but – we had prohibition probably in the 20s, like most countries in Europe and U.S. And uh, went a bit beyond that in Iceland, didn't it? Not really. Well, partially maybe. But during prohibition, you can even you could buy alcohol. You just had to get a prescription from a doctor. <laughs> so so, so okay. there was alcohol, and then we we export um, fish to Spain and Spain really wanted to sell something back and they wanted to sell wine so they got pres- they pressured Iceland to start legalizing wine again mm-hmm. and I guess at some point they uh, they made they did a they, they changed the law so they legalized spirits and wine they forgot the word beer so beer was then illegal in Iceland for 65 years That's until crazy. 1980 for 65 years or something like okay. that until yeah. 1989 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. March 1st 1989 it's Iceland beer day <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't really illegal because you could produce beer you could export beer but you could not sell beer really but you could import beer as part of your duty free allowance so beer was in Iceland, but you couldn't buy it in the stores, bars, or restaurants. <laughs> That's so that bizarre. So yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> so crazy. So as a result, uh, you know, you when 
I mean, what's the beer like in Iceland, and what's happening right now with the with the scene and and the how yeah, are there beer bars and etc. Well, we know there are because we were there. Well, but like, also, the I want to know. I know, I know. But also, I want to know. Like our friend, a bunch of our friends just went up to Iceland for some. Co- people are going to Iceland for beer festivals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brewers here. So what's yeah? What's up with that? Yeah, I mean, we have a beer festival, annual beer festival. It's hosted by Kax Brewing or Kax Hostel, and this coming year, 2018, is going to be on February 22nd. So. Everybody come up for that. It's yes. really good fun. It's really yeah. good fun. And uh, the beer scene, it's, um, it's getting better. We have a few bars that are dedicated to microbrews and like that mm-hmm. kind of beer. But we're also seeing that other restaurants, they're more interested now in having other beers on top or bottles from local small batch breweries. So it's happening very quickly in Ireland. Right of now. which, are there many local small batch breweries in Iceland? They're not. Well, they, they are few. Um, maybe the first started up around 10 years ago. And the interesting fact is that most of the first early microbreweries, they were not started by brewers. They were started by farmers. People yeah. that had maybe a garage or like a big shed or something, and they wanted to utilize it and have some business, and they bought equipment, hired a brewer, and they didn't really know about anything about beer. So it was all up to the brewer to decide what kind of beer they were making and like set up the 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 direction the brewery was going. Uh, they favored differently. Some have been really successful, some have struggled and but some of them the most of them are still operating. Uh, the interesting fact then again is that they're most of them outside Iceland, outside Reykjavik. Um, in the last maybe two or three years, a lot of more breweries are open up, mostly also outside Reykjavik. But this time, they're opening up. They've they're started by people who are home brewers, mm-hmm. so they're really into brewing and they know beer. The dedicated beer people, they're mm-hmm. passionate about beer. So that's what's changing. Yeah. And we're seeing that happening. And that's oh, that's you, man. Thank you. So Reykjavik <laughs> Brewing Company, tell yeah. us your, what this is and what your plans are and the concept and, and tell us of Reykjavik Brewing Company. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it was bound to happen. I mean, brewing for a few years and um, I started thinking, well... Maybe it's time to take the next step and go into production. For the f- maybe last five or six years, whenever I go travel, and I travel a lot, travel to all over the world, US, can- Canada, Europe, wherever, I always make it my point to go visit a brewery, see what they're doing, checking out the beers, and get an idea. So I collected a lot of thoughts in my head and built up an idea of how I want my own brewery to be like. And, yeah, finally, getting it started up this fall, hopefully. Mm-hmm. It's a five-hectoliter system. Um, down town Reykjavik. Which and is pretty great, because in, yeah. in Reykjavik itself, there are maybe only, only four breweries, five? No, no. Even, even less. Uh, there's one big brewery, Ales, and uh, they also have uh, mm-hmm. 
another brand, which is Borg Brokus. But that's uh, just outside. I mean, you had to drive us there, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's, but it's in in the city. Yeah. City limits. Yeah. And then there's uh, Brewpub, Brick and Brokus. Mm-hmm. And um, then Ben is us. That'll be and, cool. and great. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a couple of more opening up later. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but, yeah. So you're going to be a five hectoliter system. Uh, you have a space that is approximately 2,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I'm just paraphrasing. We've been hanging all day. So mm-hmm. uh, half and half, uh, half production, half half facility. But there's weird laws there that you're, as a production facility, you're not automatically granted the ability to uh, to serve uh, by the glass, which mm-hmm. we are lucky in New York State to have. But yeah. tell us a little bit what that is in, in Iceland. Mm-hmm. So what we can do, we... Officially, that space is going to be um, like a guest guest room, mm-hmm. uh, not a tap room. And so we can we can uh, we can invite people in to uh, view our facilities and be educated about beer, and they can get free beer. So it's a you you do tours. It'll be tours by appointment. Yeah, um, with which you'll be able to have some samples, mm-hmm. right? And, and but I, that and I understand that's how it was here in New York. It not was so long, long yes. ago. Yeah, not long ago. Yeah, at all, actually. Yeah. we had we had some like a kind of I would say workaround systems <laughs> yeah. where people would buy wooden tokens or yeah. metal tokens or plastic pieces or something and trade it in for beer. So that was the workaround <laughs> yeah. until the until. state uh, woke up and realized how much money there is in beer tourism and. And yeah, economics of beer. Definitely beer tourism. I mean, that's one of the things that we are looking for. Like, well, you guys, we're close to downtown, and my myself, I I call it like brewcation. You go on a brewcation, <laughs> you go visit a city. You're not maybe there for the beer. You want to see the nature, or whatever. But at night, you want to go out. You want to have good beer. You want to be able to visit a brewery or something. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely something we are going to be providing. And then, so are you guys planning on doing draft beers to sell, I guess, to restaurants and, and bars and stuff? And then what about, what's the situation with like bottles and cans? And, we, you know, we, we're, I think we're, see, we're seeing a huge, I mean, cans are really big right, right now. Yeah. And yeah. then we're starting to see this giant crowler rage, mm. or at least I am, because I think they're awesome. So you awesome saw his first crowler today. Oh, you did. So yeah, tell <laughs> us, what's the, what's the scene like as far as like packaging and stuff? Um, yeah, so I think we will, we will have our guest room or tap room or whatever you call it, and then we will be selling kegs to other bars and restaurants. Uh, as for sales to the people, you can't sell directly. Mm-hmm. You can't fill a growler like you can here. Right. Mm-hmm. It's illegal. There's a state monopoly on selling alcohol. And anything anything a bottle or keg, or sorry, a bottle or or uh, put on cans has to be sold through them. Okay. Mm. But um, hopefully, I mean, they're trying to change that law. Uh, I sometimes joke it's easier to change the law on alcohol in Iceland. Sorry, it's easier to change the way the sun moves around Earth than it is to change the law on alcohol in Iceland. It's just, look, it took 65 years to get beer allowed. To get the word beer into legislature. So I'm I'm not really, like, optimistic, but hopefully, hopefully they will realize. I mean, there's lessons to be learned from the U.S. And when you legalized homebrewing, I mean, look at the industry it's created. Mm -hmm. And the same thing's kind of like starting now in Iceland. We have homebrewers that are starting to come out, open up their breweries, and 
it's starting to get recognized. This it's a snowball. It's starting to roll, and I just hope that it gets recognized and people will start to see how what the effects could be. And yeah. looking here to the U.S., it's good good example. One of the things I love about Iceland is they have a political party called the Pirate Party. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, every, regardless of where their politics are and anything, one of them is they support the legalization of home brewing. Is that yeah? Purely? So uh, the, the the bill t- the, there was a bill uh, for the f- f- last maybe three years. A bill has been posted every year that tries to take down the monopoly on alcohol sales. So everybody, so you could have a sale of alcohol in any store. And uh, a couple of years ago, when I was uh, still associated with uh, the Homebrewers Association, we sent in a comment on that bill to the Althingi, which is our parliament. And we said, basically the letter said, we don't have any comments on the sale of alcohol, but we want to draw attention to the fact that homebrewing in Iceland is still illegal. And it's pretty much legal in every country we associate this with, like all of Western Europe, all of America, all of everywhere except Iran and some other country. And mm-hmm. uh, we actually got a hearing. They they brought us in, and we we could argue our case. And even the people from the parliament they were saying, "Hmm, I had no idea it was illegal." So. That's it's an, it's an <laughs> but, unenforced rule. Yeah, yeah, it's an unenforced rule. So the pirate party they actually they put out, they put out a, a bill last year, but it was at the end of the uh, of the uh, year and it didn't get processed or anything. But they used it. They said this is a law that is not really enforced, so it's a no law, so it should be abolished. Mm-hmm. And I think that's at least it's a you know at least it's the top the conversation is being had. Maybe mm-hmm. there there move, some movement forward. Yeah, and maybe with the more home brewers kind of coming out and more breweries coming out, maybe they'll maybe that'll help change the law. Absolutely, yeah. But we were we we're really strict about it's uh, home brewing of low alcohol drinks right, for your right. own private it was consumption. Two point two percent, I think, was the the, uh, the, the current limit is two twenty five. Yeah, but it, we're strictly against any sale. It's just for your own right. private consumption. And when it comes to sale and economic impact, you guys are taxed by alcohol content. Is that yeah. correct? Much like that's right. Print. So I want to know. I want to go back to these this Iceland beer festival. So you had there was one a few weeks ago, right? Is that the? Uh, yeah, that was a new one. That was no, a new that's, one. Yeah, it's a small one up in uh, Hola in north of Iceland. Yeah, okay. it's really fun. Yeah, it's like these guys that are university professors in Hola University. It's like really small university. In uh, yeah, in Hola, it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. You should go there. And uh, they are, they actually have they they have a fifty liter Braumeister, but they have a full license. They have they fully legalized to make beer, and they have on site uh, fifty liters. Fifty liters. Liter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> How many? That's like ten. That's like yeah. It's like fifteen. Or, that's yeah. Ten gallons. Twelve yeah, gallons. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and uh, yeah, and they have a bar on site. It's fully licensed. And then once a year, they ho- throw this beer festival. It's great fun. That's so fantastic. Great. Yeah. <laughs> what? So talk about. I want to talk about the the big Iceland 
beer festival okay. that happens that you said is going to happen next February. February. 22nd. Yeah. Is that the one that they brought the main beer truck to? No, that was no, the new one. That was oh, that one. was the new one. That, okay. Yeah, yeah. That was maybe, yeah, that was last month. Okay. And yeah, they had this truck from Maine. Uh, it's basically a 40 foot uh, shipping container. Mm-hmm. And they had like something like 90 tops on the side and filled it up with beer from Maine, shipped it to Iceland. And and then they filled it back with beer from Iceland and they're shipping it back to Maine. (laughs) And there's going to be an Iceland beer festival in Maine sometime. Probably, yeah, probably next week, I think it is. It's very close. It's a pretty fun idea. How does an Icelandic beer festival run, either that smaller one or the big one that that happens in February? Like, do you guys pay a one admission fee? Do people pay by the beverage? Is there food available? Like, how's it? What's the feel? Okay, so yeah, it's usually just entrance fee for the big festival. It's like hundred dollars, three days, three hours, three session. Sorry, one session for three days, three hours each session, all beer available free. And you guys have both Icelandic. So most of the Icelandic breweries participate as well as importing. Yeah. I think there were probably 20, between 20 or 30 foreign companies coming in, like all kinds of companies, like other half from New York was there. And uh, yeah, from Australia, I remember, there's Canada, there's US and Denmark, Mick Keller and Tool, they're always there, like they're big popular brands in Iceland. Yep. Mm. And then did some of those brewers do collaborations as well? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they find time to do that. <laughs> what was the attendance like? I mean, how many people are showing up to this festival, and how has it grown over the years? You said this was my maybe their ninth year. Not, I don't know. Maybe not ninth. It was, yeah, five upwards of five, five six, seven, okay, yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it used to be upstairs in Kex Hostel. Kex Hostel is, uh, um, yeah, it's been open like five, six years, and they have a big bar upstairs. This year, they moved it downstairs to a bigger space, and so I'm guessing. They were probably around up to about a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Cool. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I'm not as affiliated with that, but sure. I, it was just an. I, Sure, no, it's, I think it's interesting to see these festivals as as kind of like beaters on on the popularity and the, and the promise that and, uh, of potential growth for the industry, especially with a country of three hundred thousand ish. I mean, that was one one hundred or like you know, that was one thirtieth. Yeah. Of the population. One three hundred. Sorry, yeah. math, math. Yeah. My favorite three-letter yeah. word. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not five thousand, but there was also Still a lot. But, but I mean, are people coming from the? A lot of people yeah. like visitors for that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, next year, from... next year, I mean, I'm gonna buy my ticket. Well, I'm gonna participate as Reykjavik Brewing. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, of course, I am. Yeah. But I recommend you buy a ticket as soon as it comes on sale because next year is gonna be like massive. It's gonna mm. be like blowout sale. Yeah. So wait, what are you planning on brewing? Are um, you interested in brewing? Well. We have just two rules. First of all, good beer, and then it's having fun is mandatory. So mm-hmm. that's it. I'm not going to talk about my beers, what, what we're doing, <laughs> <laughs> but it will all come to light. Fun and good. Get. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. How do we find out more information about Reykjavik Brewing Company? Um, so we have a website. It's RVK Brewing. RVK is abbreviation for Reykjavik. RVKBrewingCo.com. Facebook, RFK Brewing, Instagram, usual places. Mm-hmm. And then over the time, when we, as we get closer to opening, I'm sure you're going to hear more about us. Absolutely. Well, I'll be shouting it out. I'll be uh, talking about the updates so as we go along. Hopefully we get to go back. 
we will get to go back and we will be inviting him to do to brew with us at Fifth Hammer without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. And that, I mean, always open. Fifth Hammer Brewing is our first official friends brewery. So. <laughs> awesome. Uh, just, and for our Portland friends, I found the information about this beer festival. Right, perfect. So uh, for, uh, it's going to be uh, in town for Portland Summer Session Beer Festival on July 29th. So that's very soon. So anybody in Portland, if you don't have a ticket to that, uh, definitely jump on that because there is a 78-tap uh Shipping, shipping container, container that is just filled with Icelandic beer. That's so awesome. that's super cool. That. It's a really cool concept, and I think that the plan is to, to start doing that like with a bunch of different themes and to different cities. So hopefully that container or more like them will will be popping up. Um, Siggy, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sorry we didn't get to to wrap on episode 165 officially when we were out there, but we were having such a good time with everything else. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you're here now, and, that, and that we're righteously talking about Reykjavik Brewing Company. I'm excited for your travels, uh, your beer cations to come, thank and, you. Uh, and how they express themselves uh, in your brewery. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Through flavor and fun. Yeah. And when you come to Iceland, visit our brewery. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. men about it over Fumana here with the episode 210. Thanks for listening. You're the best. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Fresh Pickings is a podcast by Heritage Radio Network presented by Bob's Red Mill. Love learning about food? Get more superfood for your brain with the featured podcast miniseries, Fresh Pickings. Go to bobsredmill.com slash freshpickings. If I offered you a bag of nooch or a sprinkle of hippie dust, would you take it? If you're a pizza-loving vegan, you probably would. Today on Fresh Pickings, nutritional yeast and its various street names. What it is and why you should be putting it on your popcorn next time you go to the movies. Today I'll chat with Dave Arnold, co-host of Cooking Issues here on HRN, about what nutritional yeast actually is and what it is not. Then VLGL blogger Elizabeth Taylor is back to give us a recipe that uses nutritional yeast and for a bonus, chickpea flour. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Thanks for joining us. So when I think of an every food topping, I'm usually thinking about parm, Parmesan cheese, Parmesan on pizza, on pasta, on a crunchy Caesar salad, even on my eggs in the morning. Or I might be thinking about ketchup because some people put ketchup on all of those things too. 
But what if cheese isn't your thing? Or we can all agree that ketchup on salad is pretty gross. Or what if it's just time to change things up a bit? Now, don't get me wrong. Parmesan will never go out of style and ketchup and fries belong together. But variety is the spice of life. So getting in on nutritional yeast is a great way to add some spice and umami to your life. So variety, that's great and all. And I know what yeast is, but what is nutritional yeast? It doesn't sound very food-like. This is David, our engineer, and that's a great question, David. So nutritional yeast is sort of like vegan cheese. It goes great on popcorn, and you can make vegan mac and cheese with it, but it's flaky. The folks over at Bon Appetit magazine called it nature's Cheeto dust, but unlike Cheetos, this is actually good for you. Hmm, that sounds intriguing. Still not sure what it is, though. Okay, if you can't be convinced by my flaky, umami, cheese-like goodness description and that it goes on everything, then I'm going to have to get an expert to weigh in. I'm all about flavor, but not so much about specifics. So I'm going to check in with Dave Arnold of Cooking Issues to find out more. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold of Cooking Issues, and I have a lot to say about nutritional yeast, and that goes way beyond Kat's accurate and tantalizing but pretty vague description. Okay, great. I needed someone to step in here. Thanks, Dave. Can you please explain what this stuff actually is? All right. Despite the strange name, uh, it's definitely uh, food. So nutritional yeast is the deactivated, you know, dead, they've killed it form of uh, Saccharomyces uh, cerevisiae. Now, that's basically the same yeast that you would use to make bread, to make uh, beer. So it's, it's definitely common. It's not some weird, like, funky thing. It's like almost all the good things we like to eat or drink it's involved with. Not almost, but you know, a lot of the good things we like to eat or drink are involved with it. So the way it's produced is, is first you, you culture to grow it in a warm, sweet medium the same way that they would do when they're making beer or as a first start to whiskey. Then after it grows, uh, they kill it basically and dry it out. Uh, and you could use it that way. So is it nutritious? Well, if you believe in nutrition as a form of measuring foodstuffs rather than just deliciousness, then uh, yes. I mean, uh, there's a has a lot of. I mean, remember, it's a it's a complete organism, so it's got you know a lot of protein. So a quarter cup of it, which is quite a bit actually, a quarter cup of yeast, but that's uh, eight grams of protein, three grams of fiber, and five grams of carbohydrates. That's off the back of the package. I don't know that stuff off the top of my head. It has lots of uh, micronutrients like thiamine, niacin, riboflavin, uh, B6, B12, zinc, folate. You know, so it's, it's also something good for you know, vegans who can't get a lot of those things out of uh, – because they, they're not getting animal-based diets or, or, or dairy-based diets. So it's, it's good to get those things that are hard, sometimes hard to get out of straight plant foods. So why does it taste savory and meaty? Uh, well, yeast, and so uh, like, there's a bunch of different kinds of yeast, and yeast is actually one of the things that's used in commercial foods to provide meaty taste. Different, but you know, it's broken down to certain uh, degrees. So the protein in yeast, once it's like autolyzed or broken up, and a lot of yeast after it grows and starts dying will self-autolyze, right? So it can produce a wide variety of flavors, but protein breakdown products, in particular from yeast, can produce meaty aroma, meaty flavors, rather.
Hi, I'm Elizabeth Taylor, the creator of food blog VLGL.cooking. Today I have a recipe that uses not just one, but two of my favorite Bob's Red Mill products, chickpea flour and, of course, nutritional yeast. I'm so excited to have Elizabeth Taylor back to share another recipe with us. Elizabeth runs the blog VLGL.cooking, which is her collection of vegan, low-glycemic load culinary creations. In the last episode, Elizabeth explained the VLGL eating philosophy and gave us a killer recipe for grain-free granola. Let's see what she brought today. So, Elizabeth, Bob's Red Mill makes a lot of products that fit into the VLGL philosophy, don't they? They sure do, Kat. In addition to being low-glycemic, meaning that it won't cause a spike in blood sugar, chickpea flour is packed with plant-based protein, iron, selenium, and folate. Chickpea flour has a mild, earthy flavor, and I love to use it for all kinds of savory dishes like this chickpea flour omelet recipe. When you mix chickpea flour with water, spices, and baking soda and heat this mixture in a lightly oiled pan, it transforms into a hearty dish that can be enjoyed at any time of the day. These chickpea flour omelets are denser and more bread-like than an egg omelet, yet richer and sturdier than a crepe. They're great with savory veggies, and my recipe uses kale and juicy grilled tomatoes with chipotle powder. That sounds really delicious. So how are you using the nutritional yeast in this recipe? Nutritional yeast is one of my go-to seasonings. It brings true savory magic to vegan food. In this recipe, I use it to season the chickpea flour omelet for an umami flavor. Thanks so much to Dave Arnold for the yeasty science lesson and to Elizabeth Taylor for sharing her tips for using nutritional yeast. You can find her recipe for the chickpea flour omelet with chipotle grilled tomatoes at bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings. Well, that's just about everything you could want to know about nutritional yeast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to check out our other episodes of Fresh Pickings and learn more about Bob's Red Mill's favorite ingredients, including some delicious recipes and great coupon offers by going to bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings. Bob's Red Mill believes in good food for all. For Heritage Radio Network, I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Thanks for joining us.